God's word, God's people, and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. All right. Good morning. Man, if that song don't get your fire going, your wood's wet. Is that too old to share, that cliche? That was so good, wasn't it? Great job, team. Rusty, great job. <clears throat> Love that song. Well, good morning and welcome to a post-Thanksgiving tryptophan lingering Sunday. Hope you're, hope you're going to be okay. I'm trying not to keep you too awful long today and... Uh, some kids in here and some young people in here. So this must be Foundation Sunday. Today is the last Sunday of the month. And if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest all year, this year, on the last Sunday of the month, we've been doing what we call Foundation Sunday. Every Sunday, our kids learn this prepped and prime point and leads up to this day where they get to share a little bit on the stage. And just so you know, we're going to keep doing this this uh, this foundation's theme all through 2024. We'll just dive into those topics and we'll, we'll do a little different angle on them, okay? Because here's why we're doing this. If you're new here, if you're a guest here, or if you're here and you just missed this, we believe Christian values are under attack. We believe that conservative, biblical, foundational uh, teachings are being questioned and uh, dismissed and are under attack like never before in our uh, nation's history and in the history of the world, in the history of the world. And I hope you agree with that because if you don't, then you need to open your eyes. You need to open your eyes and it's, just, it's coming in through your television and it's not just the shows, but it's the commercials and the shows that are coming into our TV, streaming in, little subtle attacks and little subtle arrows poking at what we believe as uh, uh, Christ-centered, Jesus-loving, God-loving Christians. Now, maybe you're not a Christian here today, and that's okay. That's okay. You're in a good place. We want to give you the option to say yes to this road today. Now, we started this back in the beginning of the year, it was Psalm 11, where David was, uh, where David was like, you know, what should I do here? The foundations are under attack. Should I run like a bird, or should I stand and fight? And we believe that it's been far too long for the church to cower in fear, or to run away and hide, or to circle the wagons and take a defensive posture and just, just hope we survive. No, it's time for us to get out and take an offensive posture and survive and thrive in this culture. We need, we need to stand up and speak up for uh, the uh, biblical values today. We speak the truth. How, church? In what? In love. We speak the truth in love. I didn't say be obnoxious. I didn't say hit anybody over the head. I didn't say argue with anyone. That never helps. I, I said speak the truth in love. And that's our challenge today. Now, some biblical values that are under attack are, for instance, the existence of God. There are people who are saying that God is not real. He's a figment of your imagination. He's just a crutch for you if you need to get through this life. 
And therefore, if they take God away, do you realize if we take God away, you take morality away? So you can live any way you want to live, and some people are. There's a disrespect for human life. They're questioning the value of humanity, and we believe we were made in the image of God, don't you? We believe that. And that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. We believe that God set the boundaries for human sexuality and behavior, human sexual behavior. God set those boundaries. We don't get to choose and do anything we want and come up with new things. God has put that and it's written, so to speak, in stone. Now, is there, is, is there, are there questions? Are there, are there things that happen that we can question? Absolutely. But we always go back to the Bible. We always go back to the Word of God. We always go back to the source of life himself. People are questioning the validity of the Bible. The historical Jesus, was he really a man who walked on the earth? Was he really the Savior? Did he really rise from the dead? They're questioning the reality of hell. And this morning we're going to take a view, we're going to, we're going to answer the question of a view that says heaven is a figment of your imagination. It's only something for you to, uh, you know, to use to help you get through. Well, if that's the case, we've all been duped, haven't we? Because I believe, as we're going to say today, that heaven is real. So let's ask the question, is heaven real? And we're going to go to the Bible, we're going to, we're going to answer that question. And here's what I'm going to tell you at the beginning. Here's what I'm going to tell you at the beginning, and I'm going to repeat this a couple times. If you can believe, if we can believe the one who made the promise, we can believe the promise. Okay? So if we can believe the promise maker, then we can believe the promise. You know, a lot of times in life, somebody will tell you something, and you'll say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I don't believe him. He's told me that before. He didn't show up. He didn't come through. She said that, but, I, you know, it's still waiting. And, and so, but then there's people in your life where you say, you know what, I, I, I believe this guy. I believe this girl because he has never let me down. She has always come through. Now, that may or may not be true with any human. You know, we should strive to be that kind of person that we, when we, we, we make a promise, we keep a promise. Amen. That's what's wrong with a lot of our world. We're making a lot of promises. We're not keeping the promises. We're treating them like they're nothing. So if we can trust the promise maker when it comes to heaven, I think we can trust the fact that there is a heaven. So that's the first thing I want to say. Believing in heaven is a matter of trust. First of all, first and foremost, it's a matter of trust. Jesus took his disciples aside in John 14, and he said this to them. This is a popular passage we use, we've used before in this foundations, but this is a really good place for this particular topic and question. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered him, and this is the phrase we've used before, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Then he goes on to say, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this is an interesting passage. This is like this, this, this chapter and the chapter before is like a fulcrum for John's gospel. In John chapter 13, Jesus did and said some very troubling things. That's why he says here in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. He saw that they were troubled. The disciples were troubled. You could probably hear a pin drop in the room. Well, what happened in John 13? Well, the first thing that happened was Jesus gathered them all together in this place called the upper room, and then they had a meal together, and that was okay. Everything was good. They ate the Passover meal, and then this when things started turning uh, a little bit troubling. Jesus, after supper, got up and he took a basin and a towel and he put it on his arm and he walked around to each disciple and he washed their feet. Now, why was that troubling? Because he was the master. He was the teacher. He was the Lord. That's not the way things work. That They should have been washing his feet. He's the hero of heaven. He's the one they should have been uh, you know, serving, not being served. But that's Jesus kind of flipped their world. He had done all he had done up until that point, and now it's like, okay, I'm going to give it to you all right here. I'm going to lay it out for you. This is, this is what it's all about. You might have missed this. You might, have, you might have not heard this. You might not have picked up on the hints and the clues and the miracles and the parables and all that stuff. So I'm going to show you once and for all the time is near. It, it, we're, we're running out of time. We don't have any more time. And so I'm just going to show you what it's about. So he, he washed their feet in that trial. Them. It troubled Peter so much that Peter said, Lord, when he got around to Peter, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. This is not the, how this works. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. Peter said, well, give me a shower, man. I want all of it. So Peter was just so worldly thinking. He was thinking worldly power and worldly systems. And, and a little bit later, Peter came to Jesus and Jesus, listen, I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go, even if I have to die for you. And Peter was just kind of like an emotional roller coaster. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, what's he going to do? You're going to deny me how many times? Three times before the rooster crows. And I want to tell you something. My rooster crows pretty early. Seriously, all night long. Uh, Peter was actively denying the Lord. And these disciples saw that. They saw Jesus call him Satan and say, get behind me, Satan. Peter, the point man, the main guy, Jesus was tearing him down. You know, he was breaking him down so that he could build him up. And that's what happens in Army basic training, isn't it, Mr. Parr? And it happened with Jesus. He was tearing down their spiritual uh, 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 you know, walls so that they could learn really what he was about. So they were troubled. They were very troubled. But, you know, they had a lot to be troubled about. In their defense, the, the Jewish leaders were getting closer and closer. I mean, there were moments when Jesus barely, just narrowly escaped the clutches of the Jews, of the, of the religious leaders. They wanted to grab him. There were times when they met, they were so jealous and conniving, they met and they said, we got to get rid of this man. All the people are going to him. They're all following him. They hated him. 
It's not because he was doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right, everything they weren't doing. And so they were troubled. It was only a matter of time before they caught up with him. And eventually, of course, they did. But you know, when I think about our world today, we, we have a lot to be troubled about, don't we? I don't know if you've been watching TV or watching the news. Uh, every now and then you should watch a little bit of what's going on in the world, but the, the world is in the most fragile place it has been maybe ever. And I say that because we have what are the, what's called the proliferation of nuclear weapons now all over the world. And, uh, and if just one of those, if just one rogue dictator, if just one guy would just release one of those thinking i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hit this then it would unleash a barrage of defenses and then counter defenses and i want to tell you something folks the world would change as we know it you might have had a great thanksgiving and life is just peachy with you but when that stuff happens the world is over as we know it no more this, no more that. Now, I'm not telling you this to scare you, but these uh, experts who look at this doomsday clock, they call it a doomsday clock, and it's really, it's how close are we to doomsday? How close is the world today to doomsday? You can Google this, check me out on this, and I want to tell you we're closer today than we have ever, ever been today. That's troubling. It should trouble you. It should trouble you enough to get your house in order to get your finances in order, to get things settled because we don't know what's coming. Now, again, I'm not trying to doomsday you and you know, try to convince you to go buy a bunch of MREs or dried foods and bottled water because, listen, when this stuff happens, it's, it's going to be over for 90% of us anyway. The only thing you can hope then is that there is life after death. Be ready for it. And be ready for that. Do the best you can up until that moment. So we're troubled. And maybe it's not the world that you're troubled about. Maybe you're like, come on, Dave, you're just scaring us here. Sorry, but, you know, I'm speaking the truth. But maybe you're not troubled about that. Maybe you're troubled about a a distant spouse or a wayward child or uh, an, an anger, argument in anger that happened last year and you've never reconciled. Maybe you're, you're thinking about things in your house that are getting ready to break or trees that are getting ready to fall in your house and you're troubled. You're just troubled and you can't get any sleep and there's just so much to be troubled about. So what's Jesus say? He says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. And that's what we just sang about right there. Don't be troubled. There's coming a day. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You don't have to beat your neighbor to Walmart and buy up all the water. Be sensible. Have enough for yourself. Maybe some for your neighbor or preacher if he stops by. But don't don't worry because there's coming a day. You know, Solomon told us that God had placed eternity in our heart. Placed eternity in our heart. And what this means is, is that there's nothing in this life, there's no one in this life that can fully satisfy your heart. Did you hear me? There's nothing, no thing, and no person 
in this world who can fully satisfy your heart. If you're hoping for that, if you're marrying for that, if if you're birthing for that, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because eternity is set in your heart. It's like a little boy who was flying his kite on a windy day and the kite kept going up and up and up and up and up and he was holding on tight and another little boy walked up and said, what are you doing holding that string? He said, I'm flying my kite. He said, where is it? I don't even see it. And the boy said, I don't see it either, but I know it's up there. He said, well, how do you know what's up there? He said, because I feel it pulling on me. And some of you know this better than others, but heaven is pulling on you. And it seems like the older I get, the harder it pulls. Maybe that's because there's more people over there now pulling in my direction than there used to be. But you understand this, and you'll understand it more as you mature in both spiritual maturity and in life, that there's, there's a heaven, and it's, it's pulling you. It's pulling you. And that's the reason things in this life don't fully satisfy you. That's the reason that you can't really have all your needs met by this person or that person. That's the reason you're still searching, but I want to tell you your search is over today because Jesus can fill that place in your heart. Heaven is pulling. And so the disciples were troubled. He says, you, you, I know you believe in God. You're Jewish boys. You grew up believing in God. I'm telling you to trust me. Trust me as well. And I'm telling you that I'm, I'm going to make something for you just for you to spend eternity with me when you boil apologetics down to its core it's about trust it's really about trust who you're going to trust with the answers and i want to tell you something i'd much rather trust someone who tells me that there's a heaven where i can enjoy peace and serenity and all the things in life for eternity than someone who says there's nothing when you die you're just gone you'll never see your loved ones again So first of all, heaven is a matter of trust, but it's also a matter of evidence. Now, let's admit, nobody's been to heaven and come back that we know. No no human. Nobody's brought this flower back and said, hey, (laughs) this only grows in heaven. Nobody's brought a piece of soil back or the corner of a building or a little piece of pavement, which, by the way, would be very valuable here, (laughs) piece of pavement. Nobody's done that, and we've only heard about it, read about it. I know people have had near-death experiences, and they, you know, some of them claim to see a tunnel and then a light. That could be a train coming your way. Watch out. Uh, and, and, and some people have claimed to be in heaven. They've claimed to have gone to heaven, but you really can't trust that if it deviates from what we know the Bible says, Right? You remember the, the little boy, uh, heaven is for real, and they just made a lot of money, and they were found out later to be frauds. They just made up the story, and that boy turned out to be a mess, a mess. And you can look that up. But I, I think there's evidence for heaven. If there, if there is evidence, will you trust it? Let's say uh, somebody comes to you and say, hey, I know, I know you're in a lot of debt. I know you've got some bills and you're still paying uh, on, on all those. And what I would like for you to do is give me all your assets, give me everything, and in one year's time, one year's time, I will pay off all your debt, and I'll have money in the bank for you. 
You'll be debt-free and you'll have a lot of money in the bank. Would you be interested in that? Would anybody here be interested? Absolutely we would. Absolutely we would. I mean, we'd be interested. At the very least, we'd check this guy out, wouldn't we? I mean, who is this guy? Who does he work for? What kind of history does he have? What has he done before? Uh, has he done this before? We would want to know. Well, I'm telling you, we have an expert in the field of heaven. We have an expert in the field. And I think all we have to do to prove that heaven is real is to prove that he is trustworthy. Are you with me? You follow me? I think there's evidence for Jesus being trustworthy. He's the one that made the promise. I think we, all, all we, have, we don't have to prove that, that there's a heaven up there. All we have to prove is that Jesus is trustworthy and he told us there's a heaven up there. You with me? You follow me? I mean, you don't, if you're arguing with someone or talking to someone, you, they can't say, well, go get me a piece of grass from there or whatever. No, I'm telling you, this man is trustworthy, and I believe what he says. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. First of all, there's evidence of his supernatural identity. Nobody else had this. If we read on down in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. He was not an ordinary man. He was God in the flesh who came to this earth for just a little while, temporarily, who lived among us, who did what we did. He ate what we ate. He suffered the way we suffered. The Bible says that he experienced everything that we experience, you know, in, in the broader category. And then when he started his ministry, he was baptized. And the Bible says that at the moment he came out of the water, Heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And that's pretty incredible. Lots of people saw this and heard this. One time later, he was up on this mountain. He went up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John. This We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and Jesus walked a little bit further than them, went a little bit further, and he got this glowy look about him. And two angelic-looking creatures came down. They learned it was Moses and Elijah, and Jesus was talking with these two old prophets. Peter said, we better set up camp here. But as soon as, as, soon as they saw that, the Bible says they heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There's no doubt about it Jesus had a supernatural identity secondly he had an impeccable integrity his integrity was without question above board and faultless Hebrews 14 said he was tempted in every way just as we are you know when Jesus was a little boy he never back talked his mother and it pay you not to as well he, he, he never he never looked at his earthly father with a scowl or a stink eye or he, he never said a bad word even as an adult when he grew up he, he never spoke a vulgar word in pain or in anger Jesus didn't do this the the Bible says he never gave in to the lure of sexual temptation but he experienced all of that just like you and I do that's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. And you know, uh, when he one time asked his enemies, he said, which of you accuses me? They all turned around and walked away. 
They had nothing to accuse him of. Now, they accused him of being God, but hey, that was true. That was true. Or saying he was equal with God, but he was speaking the truth, right? They had no, no way to find any fault in him. As a matter of fact, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. You know, I think if I made that offer, if I said, okay, this morning we're going to form a line right here, and if any of you have found any fault with me, I want you to line up right here. I've been here 27 years. Watch it, boys. I feel like there'd be a line. I feel like there'd be a lengthy line. I mean, if, if, we, if we brought other people in and, uh, you know, the family would be up front too and say, wait a minute, Dad, I remember, I think there'd be a line. How about you? If you said, if anybody has any fault with me, line up right here. Do you think there'd be people? Absolutely there would. Not for Jesus. Even in a hostile courtroom, even in a, in a, in a, a hostile environment, a man by the name of Pilate said, I find no basis for accusing this man. I find no basis for charges before they took him out and whipped him. So he had, uh, you know, he had impeccable integrity. He also, there's evidence of his keen intellect. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, 12 years old? It's the only, really the only story in the Bible about Jesus was he was a little boy. And you remember they went down to Jerusalem to, the, uh, to a, a festival. And remember when they were leaving, they, Jesus wasn't with them. And where'd they find him? Remember? He was in the temple. What was he doing? He was discussing theology. He was talking about God. He was talking about the law. He was talking about all things that these men who had been studying their whole lives wanted to talk about. And the Bible says they were amazed. They were impressed. And that's the way everybody was with Jesus. Remember the last week at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says after he had done teaching, the people were what? amazed at his teaching and here we are 2,000 years later just like the the Pharisees who tried to catch him in a trap or catch him in some kind of intellectual fault they went away scratching their heads and the same was true for you and me we can we can we can discuss and Jesus words he was the wisest man who ever lived and we're still studying them today so he had a keen intellect there's fourthly evidence to trust him because of his miraculous powers. Now, some people will say, well, the miracles, they're just, uh, you know, there's made up stories. But I want to tell you, they, they were more than that. There were people, just imagine the line of people who could testify on Jesus' behalf that he touched me, he healed me. And when we think about the miracles, they're on almost every page of the gospel accounts. Water was turned to wine. Thousands of people were fed. Debilitating diseases were eradicated from some villages. Lame people began to walk. Sick people were made well. Blind people could see again. Deaf people could hear. Uh, some dead people came back to life over and over again. Miracles are, are just pouring themselves into the Gospels. And this is evidence that Jesus was something different the bible says uh, on the what we call palm sunday when he came near the place where the road goes down the mount of olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise god in loud voices why were they praising him for all the miracles they had seen on the day of pentecost when peter preached he said fellow israelites listen to this and this was not 
all a friendly crowd, not all of them. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You might say, well, these are just people, you know, who are in the inner circle. But do you know there are people outside of the Bible, what we call extra biblical evidence, who talk about Jesus and his followers that give credibility to who he was. A Jewish historian who was not on Jesus' side, he was actually with the Romans when they put a siege on Jerusalem there in 72 AD. Josephus wrote about him, he said that Jesus was a doer of startling deeds. A doer of startling deeds. Fifth and finally, I think we can trust Jesus because of his sacrificial death. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were so jealous and so self-centered, so conniving that they are at some point in the story, and we could probably trace the Gospels to find out, at some point they decided this man has got to go. And I think there's a verse, I didn't, I didn't look it up before this, but there was a verse that said from that point on they decided they had to kill him. And, and why? Because, I think I said this earlier, he was so popular. He was doing everything right. They were doing everything so wrong. He was upsetting their status quo. He was messing with their uh, establishment. He was an outsider in the swamp of, uh, of, of modern first century Judaism. And they couldn't stand for it because the people were catching on that he was speaking as one who had authority. That meant they were speaking as someone with no authority. They were speaking like, oh, well, you know, we think he said this and we think that and we're going to go this way, but we're not sure. Jesus spoke as one who had authority. So uh, this, this finally caught up with him. They, they caught up with him and they did. They put him on a cross at Calvary. But make no mistake about it, Jesus said, they're not doing this by their power. I laid down my own life. I laid down my own life of my own accord in John 10 verse 18. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And listen to this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you got a call from your mortgage company, because I know most people have a mortgage. If you got a call from your mortgage company and they said, hey, we need you to come in. Would it make you nervous? Would it trouble you? You'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I know I missed that payment, and I was a little bit late with that one, and I know I still got this big debt up there, but ooh, they were calling me to come in. Maybe it's a bank or another uh, company, and, and you put it off for a week. <coughs> I'm sick today. And uh, you put it off for another week. Uh, and finally, you got to go in. you gotta, you got you to meet the guy. And so you go into the office, and he's got a, a smile that you think is a smirk on his face. And you got your spouse there with you, and you guys are sweaty palms. You're nervous. Your armpits are sweating. You're like, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to come up with that kind of money. And, and he comes back in the room, and, and he says, hey, what's, what's, what's going on with you guys? You look a little nervous. He said, there's nothing to be nervous about. He said, I don't know if you know this. I thought you knew this. But you have a rich uncle who decided to pay off your mortgage. How would you react to that? Would you be like, whoa, yeah, that's awesome. You'd be celebrating, wouldn't you? Well, spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for us. He paid it off. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's a lot we don't know about heaven, but I think there's enough evidence 
to prove that Jesus was trustworthy to make us believe that whatever he says is also trustworthy. There's one more thing I want to share with you about believing in heaven. It's, it's a matter of hope. I mean, seriously, do you have a better option? Do you have a better option than this? In, in the Bible, we read a lot of descriptions and metaphors for heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the marriage supper of the lamb, the wedding feast. And I like the one in John 14, my father's house. That one kind of feels good, doesn't it? It feels like I were going home, my father's house. Or my mom and dad's house. Or if you're from Mercer County, you, 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 you say mom and M's. Y'all say mom and M's? You know, we're going down to mom and M's or mom and M are coming up. And that's just a good feeling, isn't it? It's a good feeling. It's like, you know, uh, you, just, you just enjoy the family. Everybody's there. The fire's giving you a little heat. But the warmth in the room is really where the heat's coming from. And that, that's, that's such a beautiful picture of heaven. Now, I realize some of you may, didn't, you may not have grown up with a good father or your father was abusive. Or, uh, but I, I just want to tell you, there, there, we have a heavenly father who loves you so much. And so I like the description Paul uses in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He calls it our blessed hope. First, the heaven is our blessed hope. Hope is what it is. Hope is so important. Hope is what gets you up the next day. If God is real, and we think he is, and if he created the world, and we think he did, and if he made you and me and put us here on the earth and made us in his image for a plan and a purpose that one day we would gather up all those who in this life have chosen to follow him and we will all spend eternity with him. If all this is true and we think it is, then heaven is real. Heaven is real. Maybe we've never been there, but we know one who came from there and is going back there to prepare a place for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote, he said, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this next part. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This word for show means to pull the covers back. I don't know what's under there. I don't know who that is. I'm, I haven't seen that. I can kind of get a little hint there of this. Here's a mound or here's this and here's a... I don't know, but there'll come a day. This is what it's for. The great unveiling. One, two, three. And heaven will be revealed in all of its splendor, and we will finally undeniably know that Jesus has prepared a place for us. That's what Paul's saying here, so that he could show this to us like a, like a gender reveal, like a, like a surprise. And I want to tell you something, folks, it's going to be better than you thought. Better than you thought. You know, we have Revelation 21 we read a little bit from this morning that kind of gives us a glimpse, but there's no full picture of heaven John the Revelator only got glimpses. He only got glimpses. He didn't see the full picture. I don't think you'll able, be able to see the full picture. Not for a thousand years at least. You, know, you ever been on a cruise ship? Go on a cruise ship and, you, and you, you, know, you, you go to your room and then you find the places to eat, right? And then the next day you find another place to eat. And you're like, oh, I can eat there too. And then you find where the ice cream is. And then by the end of the week, you're like, whoa, I didn't even see that room. Where, where's that been? And there's, 
I'm not encouraging you to go on a cruise, but that's kind of been my, it was my experience, you know. And the, it's like, wow, there's so much here. There, everything will be made new, Revelation 21 says, a new heaven, new earth. Will that be somewhere out there or will it be here? Some people believe there. Some people believe this will melt and then it'll be rebuilt. It'll be better. It'll be pristine. It'll be like it was in the Garden of Eden days. No more sickness or pain or death or tears or sorrow. Anybody over 50 that can, I can get an amen from on that no pain stuff? Amen. amen. Oh, yeah. Well, first service, they were like, oh, we don't hurt. Uh, you know. Yes, you do. You hurt. You hurt. And, and, and if it's not physical, it's mental, isn't it? There's pain. There's stuff going on, especially in a post-COVID world. Or can I say that? Is it that true? There's a, there's a lot of mental pain, hurt. It's crazy the world we live in and how quickly over the last three years it has deteriorated in the way of mental health. And, it, and uh, we long for the day when all that stuff will be fixed and it'll be done and no more meds and no more doctors and we can just be who God made us to be. Brilliant colors. We woke up the other day and looked outside and Thanksgiving Day. I was like, wow, the sky is so blue today. The sun is shining. It's just so beautiful. It was beautiful outside. Chilly, but it was beautiful. Maybe you saw that too. I think in heaven, when I read the description of heaven, there's this stone and that stone on that gate and this stone. I think what's happening there is the brilliance of colors. All the colors will be there and it'll be like vivid. No more contacts. Sorry, Alicia. No more glasses. No more uh, need for any aids or medicines or anything. And you'll experience that in its fullest. John only got a glimpse. We'll have the continual and personal presence of God Himself. Is heaven going to be a boring place where we sit around and play harps all day? Honestly, I wouldn't mind learning how to play a harp and make some good music. I'm going to try to play bluegrass on my harp. What do you think? Anybody? We'll get us a little band going. But you know what? I think there's a room with your name on it as a custom-made room for you. Jesus said, many rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. What are they all for? Now, someone told me uh, not too long ago that they wouldn't come to this church because there were too many people, too many people here. Well, I wish there were more. But, but I, I read in Revelation 7, there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. If you're not going to be comfortable in a full church, you're not going to be comfortable in heaven, right? You might want to rethink that. Amen? I think there will be a room for every one of our senses to fully enjoy. You ever walk into a bakery? You're like, oh, Spring Hill Bakery. How about that? Mmm. And Spring Hill Bakery, it's more than the smell, isn't it? you got to sink your tongue and teeth into that creamy uh, hot dog. Yeah. My mother-in-law said, hot dog? Why are we bringing hot dogs to Thanksgiving? She had never eaten a hot dog from Spring Hill Bakery. How many of you never had a hot dog from Spring Hill Bakery? You've never had one? Never. Someone buy this man a hot dog. That's by choice. I wanted to see the Napoleon movie this week, uh, but just got crowded out. I'm going to go see it. I like history. Anybody else like history? You know, I think there'll be a room. I know we'll be so far removed from this earth, but I think there'll be a room where you'll, there'll be a, a, a million little, little pictures, and you'll, kinda, you'll recognize them, and you'll push on one, and then it'll show you 
a part of history you wanted to watch, and it'll show you the real deal. Not somebody's creation of it, but it'll show you actual history of what happened. And, and we'll know. We'll know who shot JR. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got some people who grew up in the 1900s. Who cares about that? That's gone. We'll know all the answers. We'll know everything. Wouldn't it be amazing to push on a little screen and it open up to a big screen and see your life? To watch your life unplayed from the moment you were born until you left the earth. Wouldn't that be cool? And those memories you don't have of your mother holding you and loving you and protecting you, you'll see those. You'll see those. They'll play out in front of you. You'll see yourself grow up and the times you fell and the times you were strong and brave. And I think you'll see all those times when when God had your back and you didn't even know it, when God spared your life, when God moved that car or he stopped that tree or he protected your fall, I think you'll see all that. And the Bible says no more tears, but I, I think that's tears of sadness. I think you'll just be overwhelmed with joy and love. People that came into your life that you see that now we're angels, but you were unaware. And you'll see your life from the other side. The tapestry that you're only looking at like, man, this looks like a messed up life. I'm hurting. I lost my child. The hardest things to ever go through. And I know there's folks in here and there were last service who lost a child. What, what greater pain is there than that? Or someone died of cancer or someone got diagnosed with something and you struggled or maybe there was a nasty divorce or all this pain. And, and, and one day in heaven, you'll be able to look down and you'll be able to see, oh, okay, I see. I see how God used that to help this. I, I see that in all things, God worked together for good in my life. And you see the other side You've only been looking at this side, but you see the other side of your life, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God painted for your life. Not now. Not now. All we see is the broken pieces. All we see is the color outside the lines. All we see is the, the grass that's dead over here. All we, all we see is the broken down home. But God is painting a picture. And one day you'll be up here and you'll look at it and you'll say, wow. And that's why for a million years you'll be praising him for the picture he's drawing in your life. That's heaven. That's heaven. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him. I hope heaven's real. I hope it's real. It's our best bet to get out of this world into the next with all those we love and all those that have loved us.
Now, the big question today is, how, how do we do that? How do we get there? Well, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I, I don't remember ever doing this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you the ABCs of how to respond today. A, admit you're a sinner. Admit you need help. That's the first step. You know, we got some guys here that live in the recovery house back here. And the first step in getting better, recovering, is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. And let's be honest, we all are addicted to ourselves and the things of this world. That's your first step. Admit that you need help. That's A. B, believe in Jesus. That's what he said. He said, you believe in God, believe in me. Believe in the one who is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He's the only one whose death could do something for you. I know there are people who died for, died for someone else. Maybe they on a battlefield or somewhere, they threw their body on a grenade or they blocked a bullet or people who've given of themselves in such a way that they died and someone else lived and those are all heroic and wonderful things but none of those deaths can do what the death of Jesus can do for us they could save a life but his death could save a soul for eternity believe in him trust in me he said you're already trusting God trust in me the sea, confess him. Confess him as Lord of your life. That was kind of a public thing. You know, his crucifixion was public. Confessing him is kind of a public thing. You, you say it with your mouth. That's what the Bible says. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so uh, that's the C. D, demonstrate your faith by your life in repentance and baptism. Let every single person in the New Testament who came to trust Christ in the, in the, specifically the book of Acts where the gospel was starting. Every single person who came to saving faith, to belief in Christ, to save their soul, they followed that up with repentance and baptism. They did that. I don't know all the reasons. God will know, tell us one day, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so maybe you've you're A, B, and C, but you're not D yet. You're not demonstrating this. Your life still looks like it did before you came to Christ. You're still shacking up with someone, or you're still, uh, you're still using the same language. You're still uh, enjoying the same bad habits. And, you, oh, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. But you, you're not demonstrating that. You've got to demonstrate it. You know, the, the priest had to put the foot in the water. He had to demonstrate that he believed what God was telling him to cross the sea. And so... Uh, these are the A, B, C, and D of how to respond to Jesus. If I'm here another five or six years, I'll come up with E, F, and G, and H, and I, okay? But this is enough for you right now. Maybe you need to do something. Maybe you need to pray. Stand up with me and let's sing. And then during the song, if you want to respond, you come talk to us in the cubbies or come here and pray, and we'll pray with you. And Jesus, uh, we ask you today, Lord, we ask you to watch over us. We thank you for your kindness, your goodness. We thank you for your life and your death. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to spend eternity with you in heaven. And, Father, we just pray right now that you would move in our hearts. May your spirit be here and move us to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.